Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hello, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bruce Weiner. Rachel is actually not going to be with us this week. Uh, she's not feeling great, and uh, but we have one of our associates, Cole Pickett, who many of you have already met uh, on the show, is actually going to fill in for her again today. And today we are actually diving into a question that many people have had recently about how are these mutual companies going to pay dividends in the, in an economic environment that is in upheaval. And although right now the economic environment is fairly fairly stable, although there's some volatility in the stock market, the economic environment is pretty stable as far as businesses are still hiring. Um, there are some businesses that are starting to lay off though, and people are worried about that. And and they're like, what happens if we go into a recession, a deep recession like we did in 2008, or even a depression uh, like we did in the uh, late 20s, early 30s? And how is that going to affect whole life insurance companies, or frankly, insurance companies in general, but whole life insurance companies, because people are wanting to make sure that they get their dividend payout um, as far as you know, how it's going to affect uh, their cash value in their particular policies. And of course, the way we design it is the the dividend buys more paid up additional life insurance. And there's a variety of reasons. We've done shows on this before, and you can go back to our videos to look at, look that up. We were not going to uh, talk about that in this particular video, but what happens if an economic environment changes radically? So let's start with a baseline. Um, we need, need to know how dividends are actually calculated. And this is, a, this is the frustrating thing because every mutual company does it differently, uh, but they have all kind of the basic uh, qualifications for their dividends. So let's talk about the basics first. The basics are the dividends were paid by mutual companies since the beginning, almost 200 years ago. And so they predate the actual tax code of 1913. And when a dividend is calculated, it is done according to some of the CFOs I've talked to over my career. It's proprietary. So they, they're not going to give you the exact way they do it. And I've said this on the, podcast before. Uh, Coca-Cola and UPS and all these other companies are not going to tell you exactly how they are going to do and calculate their dividends. So it's no, it's no different than the, these companies because it's proprietary. But the basis, the basis is, is that every business, whether it's insurance, whether it's your local mom and pop's uh, business down, down the street, they have income coming in. And they have expenses. The difference in a life insurance company is 
their income coming in is from the sale of different products. And those products then, they take, they take the premium that comes in and they invest it. And they're hoping to get a portfolio return. That's what the CFO is for, the chief financial officer or chief investment officer, excuse me, chief investment officer were due. And the chief investment officer, uh, because of regulations, because they have to take care of future, uh, not only death benefits, but future possible cash that is requested either as a withdrawal or a loan, they have to keep some of that actually liquid. And because of regulators, they have to be very, very safe as far as, and we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper, but I'm going to give you the overview. And generally, it's mortgage and mortgage uh, products, and a majority, though, are bonds. And so I want you to think logically here. So we have expenses. And what are the expenses in the, in the insurance industry? The expenses are they have personnel at home office. They obviously have a home office. They have mortality expenses, which are the greatest expense. And that is why they're very careful in their underwriting process. And then they have uh, outside the home office, they have agents, producers that they pay to actually promote and service their products. So they have, those are the expenses. The income comes from whatever the CIO, the chief investment officer can produce in their portfolio. And then at the end of the year, there's hopefully a profit. And the great thing is about mutual companies, they're very, very conservative. So they actually charge a little more for the cost of the insurance, just in case. And they are also very conservative with their investments. They're also, unlike, say, our government, they look at every expense. They're really good stewards of the money. And at the end of the year, there will be a profit. And there are, in all the mutual companies we've dealt with, the ones from 118 years to 174 years old, they've always paid a dividend. So what they do is they take the, the income that they've generated, they, take, they then subtract the, the expenses, and they're left with a profit. Now, the good ones take some of that profit and they put it into their reserves. So they're even stronger. Then the board of directors actually declare a dividend and it's spread out throughout all the policyholders. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing. And this is where, if you're listening to other programs and other agents talking about this, let's just say it's a five and a half percent dividend. Not everybody gets credited five and a half percent to their cash value. Why? Well, the first reason is, is that there are fees involved. There's, there's a normal fees that are in the contract for the uh, investment fees and so on and so forth. But the biggest fee is the cost of insurance. And those fees are then subtracted and then they are credited to you. So that's the first reason. So that's a gross number. Now, even amongst insurance companies, the gross number is different. Uh, some of them do not put all the fees in it. Some of them actually had already put the fee into the expense. 
it gets very confusing. And this is why oftentimes people say that, oh, I'm going to go with a 6% dividend company rather than a 5.5% dividend company. It just makes logical sense because if you got 6% at the bank, you wouldn't go with a bank necessarily got 5.5% unless there's some extenuating circumstances. But it's because it's proprietary and they don't tell you how to do it that oftentimes a 5.5% dividend can actually increase your cash value more than the 6% dividend because of where they took the expenses out. So then they apply it. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. And Cole, I know you're really good at listening. You're really good at dialing down for the listeners. So what kind of things um, from your experience might have been confusing in that explanation? Or is there anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think potentially you could expand on how not everyone gets the the five and a half percent or whatever the declared dividend percentage may be based on a number of different factors, like you've mentioned a few, like age and and um, and different things like that. Yeah, very good. So this gets a little bit more into the weeds, but what happens is, is because the dividend is actually chasing the death benefit and the cash value is always chasing the death benefit. And what do we mean by chasing? So whenever you take out a policy and let's say you put $50,000 in the first year, some of that obviously is going to, and we have other videos for this. So, and I know the listeners are, are up on a lot of this, but it's going towards the base policy and the base policy is the rock or the foundation of the policy. It's the true insurance portion of the policy. Some of it goes to a term writer and the term writer's there so that we do not make the policy. And the, the last part is the paid up additions writer. And those three cause a, a relatively high death benefit versus the $50,000. So you may put $50,000 in and go through the underwriting process. And because of that, let's say a 55-year-old from that $50,000 gets one point. $5 million of death benefit, where a five-year-old putting $50,000 in may get a $30 million worth of death benefit. And when you do that, it's always chasing, the cash value is always chasing the death benefit because at age one. 21, both the cash value actuarially and the death benefit meet. So a five-year-old has a 116 years to catch that death benefit. So they're not going to apply the same dividend because the compounding effect of the cash value reaching $20 million, where the 55-year-old, heck, they may even get a greater than 5.5% accrediting accrediting towards their cash value because they don't have as many years to catch their even 1.5 million, but it's actually growing along the way, death benefit. So that's something to keep in mind because a lot of people are taking pen to paper and saying, oh, wait a minute, why am I not getting five and a half percent? They forget about the expenses and they also, that is a five, five and a half percent to the pool, not to each individual. Yeah. So that's a great, that's a really great point, Cole. And I think that's important for 
for people looking into this who who might think they're too old to get whole life insurance uh, because because obviously the dividends will be greater and so then they can use that for their cash value and use it for retirement income or you know investments or whatever whatever they like yeah very good and, and uh you've you have seen on a lot of meetings there's not only is the dividend going to be greater, but what they do with older people is they just don't give them as much death benefit. And so um, there's not as much money uh, in fees, a cost of insurance going towards the death benefit. So yes, I've done, I've done several policies on people in their 70s, and it works out just fine. So that's the basis of the application of dividends. And also I wanted to point out that once a dividend is actually applied, it is actually guaranteed. And so then the, then the next year, not only has that dividend bought more cash value, I'm sorry, uh, uh, raised the cash value, it also bought more life insurance. So now it's even chasing a, a higher life insurance value. And that, that means then the next year, the dividend would have to be greater. So the dividends are compounding. You're getting dividends on dividends, if that makes sense. It's, it's a great compounding part of it. So now, how's, this, how's the current economic condition that everybody's nervous about? And let's say we go into recession. And are the insurance companies going to meet their obligations? Well, first of all, we know. And uh, I'm going to share something here. I don't. I know people are listening to this on the podcast, but if people are looking at the YouTube video, um, I'm actually put up the 10-year Treasury constant maturity rate uh, from the Federal Reserve. It's up on screen, and I'll I'll talk through this. But it peaked out in my lifetime when I was in high school at uh, somewhere near 16%, the 10-year treasury. And ever since then, it's had a little ups and downs over the time period. But in 2020, during the pandemic, it went all the way down close to um, close to zero. Uh, it was a little above zero, but close to zero. The federal funds rate is a different rate, but we're just talking about the 10-year treasury. Federal funds rate is what banks use, the, the treasuries are what everybody can purchase, including insurance companies. So very, very low interest rate environment, close to zero. And even at that time, the lowest uh, dividend that I know that was paid by an insurance company, even though this was less than half percent, was 5%. So now you might say, now, how is that possible? How is that even possible. Well, the first thing you have to realize is that you, the insurance companies are not looking at it just on your lifetime. So when you buy a bond, you're looking at it basically over your lifetime. How much is this bond going to either yield me in form of interest or how much is it going to be valued? And in an in a, uh, interest rate environment that is going downward, the bonds that were purchased previously actually get more valuable. And why? Well, if you have a, like in the, let's see, it looks like year 2000, the 10-year treasury was about, um, it was about 5%. Then in 2010, it was about 2.5%. 2 
Well, that means that the 10-year treasury in 2000 is worth more than the 2010 because it's paying 5%, where the new ones that you could buy are only paying 2.5%. So not only is the yield more, but you could go out into the open market and say, look, I know this 10-year treasury is about to expire because it was bought in in the year 2000, but let's say you bought it in 2009 when it was still about 3%, it looks like. For that last year, somebody might be willing to pay you instead of $1,000 for the bond, they may be willing to pay you $1,100 for the bond so they can get that extra 2.5% of interest over the next year. So that's the way that insurance companies were still making money in a in a a interest rate environment that was going down. And they weren't just buying 10-year treasuries. They were buying 20-year treasuries and 30-year treasuries going forward. So this is something that is a way that the insurance companies can do it. Now, they're also buying corporate bonds. Now, corporate bonds have to pay more than treasury bonds because treasury bonds are, are backed by the full faith of the impayability of the United States government. And even though some people would say, and I know I, I hear our conspiracy theorists saying, well, you know, that's bad because um, we're going to default and so on and so forth. Well, yes, it's possible we could default if we don't raise the debt limit, so on and so forth. But as long as people have faith that we can just simply print more money, yes, I know we're devaluing the money and so on and so forth, all these great economic situations. but People still believe they're going to get their principal back. Right now, they do anyway. Where in a corporate situation, it's only backed on different ones. They may have backed by real estate. They may have backed by inventory. But it's not like they can print money. So they have to actually have higher yields uh, going forward. And then mortgage bonds are actually higher also because the, the real estate's actually um, actually backing it. So this is the way that the insurance companies could still, over this last 10, 12-year period, they could pay at least 5% and they actually ticked up because they're not looking at it over the last 10, 12 years. They're actually, they've actually been purchasing, purchasing these bonds for 100 plus years, and they're going to continue purchasing bonds going forward. And they're gonna, they're gonna, the bond traders are gonna play the market going back and forth. Anything, Cole, that um, we could be adding to that? No, I think that explanation was great. And I put the, uh, for those listening in, I put the the chart that Bruce is referring to. I put a link in the in the chat to that. Okay, great. So we're we try to be, we try to be agnostic. We have our favorite mutual. Uh, companies. But when we're talking about mutual companies, we try not to show any favoritism between one or another because we're here truly in an educational basis. But one company recently put out um, what is a dividend. And in the truest sense of the word on YouTube right now, and I'll read this to a dividend is a return of premiums. Premiums for dividend paying whole life are determined using conservative mortality, interest, and company expense assumptions. The company board of directors, when reviewing the company's operating results each year, may declare a dividend when the operating results are better than the assumptions. 
Dividends are not and cannot be guaranteed. Once again, they have to say that for regulatory situations. However, you have to look at the history and the companies that we use have been in business for at least 118 years and some in 174 years. So as we talked about, they take the interest factor plus the mortality factor plus the expense factor, and that's the amount available for dividends. So this is just a pictorial representation of what we've already talked about. Many people find this to be very, very helpful, but the the point I really wanted to show you is right here because this is this is something that may affect the way people think about dividends going forward. So this is a dividend scale compared to the 10-year treasury constant maturity rate since 1990. And this scale shows that the 10-year treasury has, I'm sorry, the dividends have mirrored the 10-year treasury over the past 30 plus years. And we could have gone back further than that and they would have mirrored it also. And that, that makes sense. So as the 10-year treasury starts to drop, the dividends start to drop. And it, there's almost a perfect correlation here. Why, is, why am I bringing this up? Because as interest rates continue to rise into what I would call a more normal situation, then according to this chart, it would make sense that the dividends would start to rise again. So I think this is a very helpful chart to actually see the relationship between dividends and the 10-year treasury. And remember, the insurance companies are not just using 10-year treasury. They're using, they're using one year, two year, all the way up to 30 year. In some cases, I've heard of them using 50-year bonds um, in the right environment. So how does that affect how does that affect um, my own my own policy? So if we then look at an annual review by a company, once again, I blocked out all the company information, at least I hope I did. This is an annual review for a company that this person has it issued in 2012. And I know the great b- debate about how much should we allocate to the base policy. And this, this approximate $75,000 premium, uh, we allocated about 33% to the base premium. There was a variety of reasons for that. Um, this particular person wanted to get a decent amount of guaranteed death benefit. They wanted some cash value, but they also wanted their dividends to be high enough to continue to grow. I hope this is a great illustration so that people understand that if we're in a rising interest rate environment and dividends are going to follow, which historically they have, then allocating at least more, a little more to the base premium will have a long range effect on the return on your building of cash value within your particular contract. And how do you know that is because this $25,000 or 33% of the premium actually accounted for over 90% 
or right around, um, yeah, over 90% of this. Uh, and that is $7,063.40. Then this is how you know that they're paying dividends on your dividends because this is the paid up additional, additional dividend. And then finally, this 49000 only received $659 of dividends. This is the kind of stuff that a lot of people do not talk about when they're suggesting they're suggesting skinny base policies. Yes, you're going to get more cash value at the very beginning, but you're giving up the ability to compound the bigger base dividend going forward. And so what we always say is you should have as much base policy as you possibly can in your budget and then add the PUAs as far as additional savings component so that you can compound these dividends going forward. Now, one of the things I, the last thing I want to point out on this is notice I said the death benefit is a big component of how they calculate it. Notice how $25,000 is buying $879,000 worth of death benefit, where $49,000 only bought $128,000 of death benefit. So if the, if the death benefit is part of the calculation, which it is, then that is an explanation about why that the base debt, the base death benefit, or excuse me, the base policy premium is is getting you a lot more uh, dividends. And the paid up additions is a one time payment. It's optional to keep paying it, so they don't know if they're going to continue contractually to get that money for future. Um, for future payments. So that is an effect of the death benefit on the particular policy, on actual policies. So I hope people found, find that to be very, very helpful. So the next, the next thing I want to go over is something that was released by one of the companies. And I think this is important for people to understand that even though all the life insurance companies are going are going to be very solid and you're not going to have any problem with them defaulting or anything like that they do have different philosophies on how they are how conservative they are to economic situations so in this particular publication this particular publication is showing how the, the companies during the last, from 2004 to 2023, so that's about 20 years, how they have either maintained or decreased their dividends. And as you can see, this one right here, let me make that a little thinner. This company right here from... 2008 through 2018 actually maintained their dividends where this company as you can see one two three four five six seven times they decreased it this company six times they decreased it this company four times they decreased it 
This company, four times they decreased it. This company, four times they decreased it. This company, four times they decreased it. And this company decreased it eight times. So you got to ask yourself, what did this particular company know that these other insurance companies didn't know? Well, they may have been, they frankly may have been just more optimistic. They were still responsible long range. But now, as I've said on this program many, many times, there's no such thing as a deal in insurance. So they were taking a long-term approach, but they were taking an optimistic long-term report approach, and it didn't turn out. They were probably thinking, oh, we can't keep these interest rates. They're going to turn around. Well, then notice what happened over the last five years. They've actually decreased twice in the last five years, where these other companies, this one only did it once, this one maintained or increased over the last five years. And this one also, if you notice, they were the ones that really responded to the interest rate environment. So the, so the companies that really responded to the interest rate environments, notice this one only did it four times. And so now they've actually uh, decreased or um, over the last four of the last five years. So not that these companies are going to go under, but I think when you're looking at a company, you need to see what is the trend, especially early in your contract. So if the trend of some of these insurance companies is, oh, well, we made a bet going forward and we were wrong with the bet. Now we're going to have to actually decrease our dividends. And now we're actually going into a rising interest rate environment where you would think they would actually be increasing their dividends, but they're going to have to either maintain or decrease again. Then that's going to affect the compounding of future dividends. So that's just something to consider. Anything else there, Cole, that we can hit on? Uh, I would just, the only comment I would have is it seems as though most of these insurance companies over the long term, it all essentially evens out. Yes. And that's why I think it's very important to understand the financial, the strength of an insurance company and take into consideration the ratings provided and then their yes. stated their stated dividend rate. Because many times I've heard um, clients come in and they'll say, oh, well, X insurance company is paying this percent and this other insurance company is paying this percent. So why wouldn't I go over to this company? Because they're paying a 1% higher dividend. When in reality, they may or may not increase or decrease that, that percentage. And that's why I think it's really just um, important to choose an insurance company that has a long history of paying dividends. And then also their, their ratings are, are high enough to where you can feel safe moving forward that they'll at least pay it because it'll be extremely difficult to tell whether an insurance company will increase or decrease in any given year. Very, very, very good. And um, I see we have several listeners on the day. And if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. I know from my background as an educator that this, uh, this material may not be as exciting as some of the material that we've had. And maybe you don't really have any questions because it's not that exciting, but or it may be because it's so uh, deep and you're really interested in it and you're really trying to study and you're, and you're not thinking of any questions right now because you're just trying to understand. So the next thing I want to show you, but please, if you have any questions, please put them in the 
chat. Uh, I presume you don't have any on your end right now, Cole. I'm yeah, looking at, uh, yeah. Okay, this is very interesting. These are two insurance companies, and the, the, this is um, this is public knowledge, and you can get this. So this is comparing, con- contracting, contrasting some of the things we've talked about. So first thing you can see is that over the last five years, these were their portfolio yields that they were getting. But the, the part I wanted to show you is down here. Notice that this particular company, 71% of their total portfolio is in bonds, and this one about 65%. Notice how they only have a very small percentage in stocks, very small. Now, this company over here had smaller amount of bond holdings, but notice they believe in mortgages. So now they're at 75% when you count the bonds and the mortgages, where this company doesn't believe in mortgages, apparently. They believe in real estate, and this company doesn't believe in real estate. And so you'd have to ask yourself, okay, where is real estate going if we go into recession? And so would that be an issue? And then notice how this company only has 2.7% out in policy loans, where this company has 11.7% out in policy loans. That is a huge difference. And I can tell you between the two companies, although we use both of them, the one on the left does not endorse the IBC concept. They do not, they do not uh, shoot it down. However, they do not endorse it. The one on the right actually does endorse it. And as this chief investment officer, the one on the right told me, he said, well, if we're, if we're paying, getting paid 5% interest on the loans and we have collateral already at the insurance company, then we're, we're fine with doing loans with our policyholders. That's, that's what we're set up to do. And notice how they have a lot of people were asking, well, what about the cash, cash on hand? This company has 2.4. This company has two. This is, this is just cash where they can pay out death benefits. They can pay out policy loans. They can pay out lapse requests, you know, so on and so forth. And the final one that is a little bothersome to me is other investment of assets. And I asked the question, what does that mean? Because this company has 18% and this one only has eight and eight and a half percent. So these are more complicated instruments in the form of derivatives for the for the most part. It can be precious precious metals. But I was told that most of this is made up of, for this company, is derivatives, which are a little more, more complicated. And they, they obviously feel comfortable with it because they got 10% more in that than the, this company does. So the, the bottom line is if we go down to the bottom, they're, show, they're showing the quality that the insurance companies have. This one has 95% of high quality investments. And this one has 91. Well, I don't know why I'm doing this. Is that they already told them right here. <laughs> 91% of high quality investments. So 
this is available to the public. You can you can search it, but we do this kind of research all the time. All right, Cole, did you find anything uh, that you found yeah, interesting? I, in, in uh, just for, for those just listening, Bruce was pulled up an illustration just going over the the different type of investments that insurance companies make in order to pay the dividends that we're speaking about today. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I think, I think that's all I wanted to share as far as different things today. In, in closing of the, the program today, um, I want people to understand that dividends although not guaranteed, are highly probable. And the reason they're highly probable is the insurance companies have taken very conservative steps towards taking care of your money. And in some respects, you know, this is why we say if you have excess money, money you don't need in 15 minutes, you should be storing money in cash-valued life insurance companies because cash value life insurance companies do not multiply the money. And they, and therefore, they are very, very good with your money. That's, it's, a, it's a safe environment. I know some people, we've done this, we've talked about this before. They are, they're, all the life insurance pump companies also association, similar to FDIC, not, not the same as FDIC, but similar to FDIC. They also then, if there was ever an insurance company that <clears throat> goes into receivership, which there have been in the past, very few, but there have been in the past, then the industry of that state comes in and, and, uh, and takes over those particular contracts for pennies on the dollar. And so those contracts will be saved. But more importantly than that, because of the conservative nature, this doesn't happen very often, and the dividends are paid. And even after they take over those contracts, those, those dividends can be paid. So going forward, dividends are not guaranteed, but they're highly probable in most any economic environment, at least the ones that we can imagine going forward. So Cole, is there any uh, closing um, statements or comments that you have or any questions that came up today? Yeah, I just think uh, I just have one comment. Uh, dividends are pretty complex to understand as far as how they're paid and um, how these insurance companies are paying them. But hopefully today we kind of broke down and gave you a little more insight as to how they're paid, how or how insurance companies invest their money to pay them. And then if you have any more additional questions after listening, I know this was a lot and we got into the weeds a little bit today. You can always email hello at themoneyadvantage.com and we'll definitely be sure to get back to you. Oh, great. We're starting, we're starting to get some questions. Arthur is asking, in, on average, how often are dividends paid? Great question, Arthur. This, this, uh, this gets a little confusing too because whenever you take out a contract, the life insurance contract, you establish the anniversary date on the date it's actually issued. So example, if you decided today to, to pay your life insurance for, for the first time, and I think today's the 19th, I believe, April 19th, that establishes your anniversary date. So it's not like um, 
every everybody's going to get the dividend applied on the same day. Now, the insurance company declares a dividend in fall, and then they apply it for the next year. But you would not get the dividend until your anniversary date. So what we do is we always review a couple of days after your anniversary date. We know the dividend has been declared. We know you're going to have it on your policy, and we go over what the dividend was. So, Arthur, uh, to answer your question is, they're declared once a year and they're applied once a year. They just get applied on your anniversary date. Thank you for the, thank you for the question. And we haven't seen uh, Arthur before on the on the show, so thank you for participating. All right, um, I know it was a little bit of a dry subject, but I know people were asking us when we've been meeting with them about what is going to happen to the dividends going forward. I am actually very optimistic about the dividends for a couple of reasons. Um, I do not believe that we are going to go back to near zero interest rate environments for a sustained time period. So I tell people all the time, if these, if these insurance companies were paying anywhere between a 5 and a 6% uh, dividend in an environment where the treasury was near zero, then if we're not going to go back to near zero again, then that means going into the future, the dividends will actually be going up. And if they're going up, then getting into a, a contract now, that means you're going to get it when they go up and those higher dividends are going to compound throughout the entire life of the contract. It's like uh, if you went to the bank, I always like to use because banks, even though we, we're not endorsing banks, but people understand banks. If you take $100,000 to the bank, would you want to get 5% at the very beginning of putting it in? Or would you like to get 1% but towards the end get 5%? Well, if you get 5% at the beginning, then that compounding starts and you start getting you start making money on your money. So having the compounding effect early is very, very good. Cole, I have a couple more questions coming in. Um, I guess everybody was waiting till the end that I'm also in the belief that dividends will be higher than the past 10 to 15 years. Uh, uh, James, uh, I agree with it. And I think the chart that I showed earlier would prove that to be out, would prove that out because the 10-year treasury is rising. And so if you just follow the correlation between the dividends and the 10-year treasury, um, I do believe that, that is, they're going to be higher for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, author asking, so is it your suggestion that instead of withdrawing the dividend, they should be reinvested, drip for as many years as you can? Yeah, author, here's the, here's the thing. Um, this is a little complicated, so I'm, I'm going to give you like a general view of this. Because the dividend is also going to be compounding, we would say go ahead and let the dividend buy more paid-up additional life insurance. It'll add to your cash value. What happens is, a let's say a $10,000 dividend and there, and we get we have clients that are getting $10,000. We showed you earlier that's one was about $7700. Heck, we have clients that have compounded and they're getting 
towards after about 20 years, they're getting a hundred thousand dollar dividend. But if you have a ten thousand dollar dividend, it's going to purchase according to your age anywhere between twenty thousand dollars of additional insurance and fifty thousand dollars of additional insurance. So if you're using the the not only the cash value but the death benefit to collateralize then you could take a loan against the cash value and and people do this all the time in in retirement they're taking a loan and they don't have any intentions to paying it back now it's all right to, to take a loan in a retirement situation and not pay it back nelson in his book talks about don't steal the peas but he also has a place in in the book about talking about taking retirement income, tax-free retirement income and not paying it back because you're closer to mortality. So the compounding of the loan will not catch up and you've done a great job of capitalizing. If you just simply withdraw an author, then you don't get the compounding effect of it. Now, there may be a time where when in retirement, you decide to withdraw the dividend because now you're at the end of the compounding scale. And I know this is difficult, and I'm and I'm telling you, if if situations, if you're this age, if you want to do this, if you want to affect that, but it all depends on where you are in your life, what you're trying to do. But especially early, no, you do not want to withdraw it. You want to apply it. You want it to compound. You want it to buy more paid-up additional insurance, and then if you want to borrow against it, go ahead and borrow against it at that time. Great. Great, great question, Arthur. Thank you for participating today. All right. I think that's all I have on my end, Cole. Uh, you have anything else? Okay, we're good. So once again, thanks. If you like what's going on and you're on YouTube, please uh, hit the subscribe button, comment on all our social media, and we'll get to, we always answer those questions. And um, we'll have hopefully back Next week, we have a guest next week, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, and if you have any questions, like as Cole said, go to hello at themoneyadvantage.com and ask us those questions, and we'll be glad to answer them. So in closing, remember that success leaves clues. Model the successful few and not the crowd and live a life and business that you love. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. 
please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.